Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists like us answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetics industry. This is episode 326. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, did you color your hair? I did not color my hair. It must just be the lighting of this room. Uh, does it look darker? Okay, it sure does. Uh, we're going to talk about home hair color today, so I didn't know if you oh, did something okay. for the show. Uh, I, I, I did not, <laughs> but uh, right. we can talk about it. <laughs> but we will, and we're also going to talk about some other things like foundation. Is petrolatum really a terrible ingredient? What is the best conditioner for Barbie doll hair? How do you counter false and misleading claims about cosmetic ingredients? And back to hair color, is it okay to use home hair coloring kits? But first, that inane chit chat, I was so excited to see you have finally launched your new thing that you have going on for the porch kitties. Tell everyone about it. Well, you know what? Uh, in the past, I've talked about porch kitties, right? And, uh, you know, I've been feeding the porch kitties probably for a year now. Uh, um, and uh, now they'll just keep multiplying. <laughs> so I've caught a few and got them fixed. But I, I've been taking pictures, and I always talk to my wife about them. And I'm like, you know what? I should have an Instagram account for porch kitty. Yeah. And then I looked yeah. up porchkitty.com, and there wasn't a website for that. I'm like, oh, I'll just get porchkitty.com, and I put it on the website. <laughs> nice. So now I have that website. What are you going to do with it? Well, I, I put... I put pictures of all the porch kitties on the website. So if you want to go check out the website and see see stats and pictures and stories about the porch kitties and what they're up to, uh, go to porchkitty.com. We're also on Instagram as the porch underline kitty underline crew. That's crew with a K-R-E-W. That was my uh, niece's suggestion. <laughs> I guess that's how the kids spell crew these days. But porch kitty crew <laughs> well, is the same cute. kind of pictures. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you see pictures and videos of the porch kitty, and of course there's a donate button because feeding like ten cats <laughs> every day uh, can't add up. So, but you know, if you want to donate, that's great. If not, that's you can just look at the pictures and learn the stories of the porch kitties. Well, I think it's really cool what you're doing because a lot of neighborhoods have stray cats. A lot of people see stray cats. A lot of people know the stray cats in their neighborhood even. And you go above and beyond to try to control the pet population. Bob Barker would be very proud of you. (laughs) And not a lot of people will do that to capture the cats and re-release them. And I think that is very cool that you're doing all this on your own time, your own dime, and pretty neat, I think. Yeah, it's it's fun and it's neat to see. I feel like I'm a a naturalist out in the wild observing because all of the all the little porch kitties have their different personalities and there's there's these new ones. There's the heat miser and there's puffers and these are sort of the they're not part of the porch kitty crew, so they're kind of like a battle with them. It's a whole thing. It's very yeah. Crazy. I can't wait to learn about them. Yeah. Uh, speaking of learning, I also saw you're going to Salt Lake City this Friday to the Intermountain West chapter. Exactly. I'm going to be out there and speaking about uh, clean beauty. What's new in clean beauty? Uh, so that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. It's such a great crowd of cosmetic chemists out in that neighborhood. I was going to try to go to the show to see you, uh, 
and I can't because my titrator preventative maintenance program was scheduled for Friday. I had to schedule Uh-oh. it months in advance. It's kind of a pain sure. to get it rescheduled, and it's a lot of money. So I have yeah. to be there with Mr. Titrator Repairman. <laughs> Boy, uh, we just don't have enough titraters in our lives, do we? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, well, a lot of news has been happening this week, so let's head over to Beauty Science News. Let's do it. I saw something we've been talking about. Target uh, was recently tangled up in a lawsuit because people have alleged that Target is being misleading by selling uh, oil-free products when in fact the products uh, contain other things that are oily soluble types they contain oil so well they contain oil soluble things right so the person who uh filed the lawsuit against them a mr sorkin um settled with target for their up and up products because their oil-free moisturizer uh, contained uh, sterols and dimethicone, which are oil soluble. And if he had known that that were the case, he would have not purchased it, or he would have paid less for it. Did they say anything about how much he settled? Or no, that part isn't uh, mentioned. Huh. I mean, does that mean they're going to stop selling those products or something? No, I I wonder oh. actually if they're even going to change what they say about it. I'm not sure, uh, but you know it was kind of nice to see something come to a close. Often we report on things and then never really know what happened sure. uh, to them. Um, and you know Target's not the only one. L'Oreal with CeraVe, Johnson and Johnson, right. Elf Cosmetics. These are all other companies that have been hit with these oil-free claims and. The companies are just settling because it's just easier to, to have these people go away. Although Johnson and Johnson continues to fight their class action yeah. lawsuit, but these are just so frivolous. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's amazing. We'll see if that affects the way that companies advertise oil free. Because I don't I don't know if you're if you're settling, it seems like you're going to have to stop saying that or something (laughs) let's see you have to keep settling all these new lawsuits yeah who knows Uh, what did you see well remember my prediction about uh mushroom was going to be the big ingredient this year which to be fair i think i also predicted that last year (laughs) well i saw that shroom skincare it's a new line born from the idea of harnessing the power of mushrooms they launched their first product their mycelium glow brightening serum. So there you go. Uh, mushrooms are coming at you. Now, the serum has this uh, Rishi mushroom extract, which uh, they say supports hydration and visibly healthy skin, which is a pretty generic claim. Uh, I don't know why you need, I mean, any moisturizer is going to do that, right? Then we got the Chaga yeah. mushroom extract, protects Chaga. the skin while helping. While helping skin cells repair, <laughs> reduce inflammation, uh, okay, very generic claims there. And the Cordyosips Senesis Extract, which supports balanced and even skin tone. So there you go. Uh, all the mushrooms that you can get uh, look for. So it's starting. It's the, the whole mushroom trend is starting. 
Um, and I called it first or second after well, Valerie I, called it last year. <laughs> well, yeah, I was, yeah. But you're, you're right on the button there. It's a mushroom moment happening right now. We'll, we'll see if anyone else picks that up. But uh, I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> that was one of my nice, nice. My predictions. You I know, I did, I did see one more uh, article come out on fizz.org about UV gel nail lamps causing cancer. And after I saw it there, I saw it exploding at USA Today and the internet. And of course, everyone is done using gel nail polish because oh, it's causing a... cancer. Um, oh my. But this is one of those studies that have come out and has been over-sensationalized with, with the headline. No way, really. <laughs> so what's the Are real sure? story here? <laughs> what's the real yeah, story? Yeah, so Wait, basically... Putting my fingers under uh, a UV lamp uh, isn't going to cause me to have hand cancer? No, no. In fact, uh, many studies have actually been done to uh, contradict these claims that are being made. So what this group did probably was not really realistic um, in terms of how these UV uh, nail lamps actually expose to our skin. They did take uh, different cell lines from adult human cells, human foreskin, and mouse embryonic fibroblasts. And they exposed these cells in a culture to one 20-minute session, three 20-minute exposures, and uh, did it at a specific frequency. And yeah. they are saying that some uh, DNA damage has been caused. So, you know, the researcher from this one little study is saying it does cause cancer, but in my mind, I just don't know that's enough because there has been a lot of other work to show that lamps are safe. Uh, in fact, in 2013, in an issue of photochemistry and photobiology, uh, two authors, um, Dr. John Dowdy and Dr. Robert Sayer, who actually co-invented the SPF rating for sunscreens. Do you know them? Hmm. I, I do not know them personally, but <laughs> okay, well, they invented it. They're the inventors. Pretty uh, cool. Uh, they set out to uh, determine that LED-type nail lamps produce excess amounts of UV and increase the risk of skin cancer. So that was what they set out to do when they uh, did the research for photobiological safety evaluation of UV nail lamps. And they actually found that UV nail lamps exceeded safety expectations. They're significantly less hazardous than expected, they found that the UV exposure from these lamps is so low that a person could put their hand under a nail lamp for 25 minutes per day without exceeding the safety limits for daily workplace of UV exposure. And huh. as I don't know if you know this, I was going to say, as you know, Perry, but you probably don't, you're, you're under this lamp for less than 10 minutes with a gel manicure ag mm, aggregated okay. in total. Sure, so sure. well below it. And these researchers, who, by the way, are like the SPF experts, concluded that the risk of developing non-melanoma skin cancer was 11 to 46 times lower by using a UV gel nail lamp than just being exposed to natural sunlight at noon. So and this is just one study. Sure, sure. But but so, these other, this, this latest study said cancer, so it gets a lot more headlines. Yeah, so I don't know. What do you think, Perry? Well, it's a big miss by exposing direct cell lines to the lamp because 
we don't have any direct cell lines from your body out in the world, right? Out in your hand. Your hand no. has stratum corneum, the epidermis, dead the cells, stratum basale, the yeah, the five five layers, and then <laughs> five layers after the, then. That's where the actual living skins are. So unless they're doing a study where they're going to put this block of uh, cells, dead cells above the the skin cells that they test, it doesn't really mean much in real life. No, it it doesn't. So unfortunately, though, uh, Instagram and TikTok, uh, it's I think the damage is done. Well, you know, well, we'll see. I think the gel gel nail polish was kind of on the outs anyway. It hasn't been very popular. Oh, I I disagree. Yeah, well, I don't get my nails done, so <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm out there. I just from me looking on and the outs outsider looking on, like five years ago, everyone who was talking about the gel nail polish and now yeah, maybe it's just yeah. it's so common now maybe that's everyone just does it but it seems like it's not talked about as much no Mm-mm. well there's so many long wearing normal nail polishes i actually usually don't get gel done just because i don't have time to get them removed i do ah. a normal uh long wear polish and everyone's like oh my god is that gel because it stays perfect the whole time oh. and i'm oh, like okay. nope it's not yeah but i, I have good nails uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah, so that was the news for the week. Kind of. That was. There's rarely good news. All right, yeah, rarely good news. <laughs> and we got a celebrity uh, news story that I, I, I wanted to follow up on. You know, it was nice you had the follow-up on the Target oil-free lawsuit. Well, here's a follow-up on a celebrity beauty brand. Uh, we talk about all of the new celebrity launches, but what happens after all the fanfare well, here's what happens to some of them. You know Kristen Bell? Yeah. You know her from, uh, what, Veronica Mars and what was that, uh, the Good Place show she does? Yeah. 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 Nice. Good act. Good actress. I, I find her amusing. I, we also know her from her CBD skincare brand, Happy Dance. That's right. Happy Dance. And I heard an entire interview with her when she launched this. She was on the Fat Mascara podcast, which uh, was, a you know, they have some interesting guests there on occasion. But she was talking all about how, how great this brand was. But unfortunately, the brand made the announcement on Instagram January 23rd that its products are being discontinued on January 27th. It's kind of short notice, right? Like, hey, in four days, good luck. Uh, you can't get our stuff anymore. Yeah, pretty much it's... Uh, Shutting down after two years on the market, so there you go. I guess, uh, I guess it the the sales were not making Kristen do a happy dance. So, so happy dance. More is no bad more. news. Yeah. Well, interesting. You know, maybe they said, you know, we're going to give this two years, uh, which is maybe the shelf life of their products, and then they said if it's not taking off by then, we're going to dump it. Uh, maybe there were legal challenges. Maybe, you know. It wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Lots of things could have happened. Yeah, and and also maybe there are just so many dang products out there. You know, you can't. I, it's to me all of these celebrity brand products. The problem is that the celebrities. This is sort of off focus for them, right? Unless I mean, somebody like uh, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, who she's very much into goop. She pretty much has gotten away from acting, right? And now she's just doing the goop thing. Whereas Kristen Bell, she's I still see her in a lot of stuff. So that the acting seems to see still be her main thing and this was kind of her side thing. 
Yeah. Do you think anything has to do with CBD being on the outs? I mean, we did like a a trends that we think we're going to see. You know, we haven't really talked about things that we think have been big or going to go away. Is it because CBDs like old news? Yeah, I think CBD had a moment and then nobody could figure out what CBD benefits actually were. We're in skincare, so um, uh, yeah, it's CBD seems to have died down a bit, at least in the industry. So maybe that had something to do with it too. That's just what happens to these celebrity brands. There aren't a lot that stay around. There are some notable ones that stay around for a long time, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we do have some reader comments. Edwina wrote into us and said, Hi, Beauty Brains. I just heard your latest show and believe I can help with the question of if cigarette ash can remove hair dye stains. Do you remember that question? That's that's right. I think we talked about that on episode 324 yeah. about uh, ashes. And did I did I tell my magic trick story about ashes? No. <laughs> I think I did. Yes. <laughs> Go back and listen. No. We're <laughs> that's not a great re- magic yeah. trick. I yeah, love that right. trick. Well, Ages ago, when smoking was commonplace, including homes, bars, your car, an airplane, everywhere had an ashtray that needed regular dumping. And so it was a common household hint or tip to make a paste of these ashes as a mild abrasive to clean away stains, buff away tarnish, which I I do remember that, or just clean grime off glass, polish things, that kind of stuff. It was taught to her ages ago by her mom and grandmother and... You know, now that people aren't really smoking as much, um, you know, you can't really get, uh, you know, too many ashes anymore, at least in California. I think less than 10% of the population smokes or something like that. And you you certainly can't do it in public. But um, Edwina says you actually used to see this suggested in books uh, regarding household tips um, where people could use these ashes to do uh, different things with them. So uh, she thinks the fact that ashes could remove dye was most likely passed along as a tip uh like folklore and uh people used it as a mild exfoliant yeah she talked about making it into a paste and you know (laughs) so uh you know reusing your ashes i upcycling (laughs) first of all two things about this first uh, the ashes, I like the smoking and not smoking. Like I, when I worked at Denny's as a like a busboy way back in a, I don't know the '90s or something, um, we had a smoking section and a yep, non-smoking yep. section. <laughs> like it, and the, the smoking section always, all the smoke always went all over the entire restaurant. So it yeah. always seems silly to me. <laughs> yeah, and like they had a smoking sections on planes. Like, yep. Uh, it's they an airplane. Did. It's like all yep. the, yeah. I remember that things people born today won't ever know. You know, and the other thing that, that this one sort of made me think of is, you know, this whole idea of using, you know, they have ashes around your house and you want to don't want to just dump them. You want to do something with it. That reminded me of how my mom used to collect uh, the bacon grease. Whenever she'd make yep. bacon, she would collect the grease into like a coffee pot. And then I don't know what she ever did with it. <laughs> You're supposed to recycle it or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we saved uh, it too. So that, maybe that was just the sentiment of the '70s that you collect stuff and yeah. put it somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, being very mindful of what you produce. Very cool. Uh, well, let's head over to some beauty questions. We got lots of uh, Patreon questions. So our first one comes to us from Tracy. She says, "Dear Beauty Brains, I'm a professional makeup artist." beauty writer and teacher working in Australia and New Zealand and have a lot of questions about the foundation formula. 
gonna group them and you can answer as many as you want. So here we go, we got uh, four questions. Firstly, what is the main base foundation, base formula of a foundation and has it changed over the years uh, with different trends? For example, uh, how do the emollient silicones and natural oils play a role? Well, uh, good question. First, has it changed significantly over the years? I'm gonna say not really, at least in terms of the colorants that are available, uh, no, the colors haven't changed uh, pretty much at all. Uh, we're still using the same colorants we use. The base formulas basically are still the same, but there are some newer uh, silicone polymers and elastomers that can have a little more flexibility and maybe they'll last longer on the skin or they'll feel more natural. It's more of an iterative improvement rather than some dramatic improvement. Uh, how do, what do you think about it? You're, you're a foundation user <laughs> more than I am. What, what do you think Well, of it? more than you are. I don't usually wear it, but <laughs> I would say, you know, the premise of it is the same, as you said. It's typically a water in silicone or, you know, water in oil or, you know, silicone water oil type mixture. And the only thing that's really evolved over the years is the types of silicones, I would say, that go in them and the ability to process those silicones and silicone elastomers to create different yeah. textures and to change the way that foundation can wear on skin over time, keeping it long wearing, non-transfer, uh, that kind of thing. So I would say the premise of it hasn't, the actual technology inside maybe has improved. Yeah, but it, exactly, it improves a bit, but not dramatically. All right, uh, how, next question. Does skincare in foundation really help and does formulating of uh, foundation interrupt the delivery of skin beneficial ingredients? I guess that's all that, what, the BB cream craze there? BB, CC, DD? Yeah, there's <laughs> the actually creams. a you know, handful that I've seen of foundations and concealers on the market that are formulated with uh, skincare ingredients. And I actually got to work on one project uh, for one of them for a brand and I would say actually performed really well um, not biased oh, okay. but I'm just saying uh, you know the, the feedback through uh, third-party clinical testing and consumer testing uh, was really positive and I you know I think it was due to the way that the formulation was prepared so you know I can't speak for all foundations um, you know, I think if you want skincare benefits, you know, you should be getting them from skincare, but I don't think it hurts to have them additionally in your foundation. Right. I think the problem with getting skincare benefits from color cosmetics is that you don't put color cosmetics everywhere, where skincare you put everywhere, right? And so yep. if you're putting a skincare benefits in, say, something like a blush or something, it's only going on your cheeks and you're missing a lot of yeah. your skin. Yeah. So, yeah. It's it's very it's also very hard to do to deliver multiple benefits from a single product. I think of like a two in one shampoo. It conditions better than a regular shampoo, but it doesn't condition as good as a conditioner. And it cleans like a shampoo, but it doesn't clean as good as just a shampoo. So when you try to combine things, sometimes it doesn't really give you the best of both worlds you just get average of both worlds and yeah. so that's kind of probably what i think of it get your skincare from skincare and your foundation from foundations yeah next question 
Who and how are the colors decided on? I find everything so yellow these days, especially the newer brands on the market, and wonder if actual humans are involved in the testing of shades. Well, Tracy, I'm sure you know this, but maybe the rest of our Beauty Brains fans don't, but to create a foundation or concealer skin tone color, chemists take varying combinations of black, yellow, or red iron oxides and a white pigment, usually titanium dioxide, and they put them together in different combinations to create a skin tone. Sometimes you can add blue to create uh, really dark shades to give them uh, a nice rich tone, uh, but typically uh, blue is not really used too often. So when Tracy is saying, oh, everything's so yellow, that must mean there is a high quantity of yellow iron oxide and maybe not um, as much red or it's not red dominant. How it's determined is really up to the brand. Basically, someone in marketing or product development will pick a target color. Maybe it's a Pantone color. Maybe it's a competitor product. And they will try to match the target of whatever they're trying to achieve. No, certainly uh, humans are involved in color picking. In fact, it's one of the things that we haven't really been able to automate, uh, trying to pick colors based on like a Minolta chromometer or something like that is just just not uh, efficient enough to do color matching. You need somebody who has color matching experience to make sure you get the right shades. Yeah, even in production at a factory, a human is involved in uh, color matching, yeah. usually yeah. in addition to a colorimeter if you have one. Uh, but humans are involved yeah. in the testing as well. Uh, it's just that this is what the, the target shades are. I don't know why you're not seeing as much red um, as you used to. I'm wondering if it's because brands are trying to avoid having too much orange on the face. What do you think, Perry? Remember, there's this like old yeah. stigma of foundation being orange, and you can definitely see, you know, the line on the neck. At least when I was in high school, all the girls who wore heavy makeup, <laughs> you know, it stopped at their their jawline, um, and it was like all pretty right. orangey. Yeah, so right. maybe they're trying to make it look less less orangey yeah that's a good that's as good a guess as any um and it just might be also remembering things remembering the past is different than the present it's it's hard to remember how things actually were <laughs> yeah yeah and so who knows so we can't answer that question yeah and a final question what is it that gives foundations its stickability many thanks tracy stickability uh <laughs> i like that word by the way Oh, yeah, stickability. <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty much going to be what the film-forming polymers, right? Yeah. Yeah, your, your things like acrylates, dimethicone copolymer, you know, those kinds of things. Okay, that's all our foundation talk. How about we talk about some petrol atom? Superfan Timothy from Patreon says, Hi, Beauty Brains. I'm really struggling with this one because it doesn't make any sense to me. This blog post is by someone I really respect, but when I read it, I feel overwhelmed with all the misinformation. Take a deep breath before you read it because the information, misinformation is deep and the EWG references are abundant. And I'll be sure to include the link to this blog post in our show notes. Yeah, so the blog post, uh, just so everyone's aware, is eight reasons petroleum has no place, <laughs> petroleum jelly has no place in your lives. Very dramatic and what to use instead. Uh, but back to Timothy's question, uh, Timothy says, I just want to focus on her fourth reason in which she states that Vaseline ages your skin. She says, not surprising newsflash. When you put a non-breathable, 
non-moisture adding product that has carcinogens, it doesn't nourish and hydrate your skin the way that is needed to prevent aging. The barrier process described in 8 below inhibits this moisturizing effect, and there is also some concern about its potential to cause collagen breakdown. Specifically, when petroleum jelly coats the skin, it blocks the skin's natural ability to breathe and absorb nutrients, which slows the renewal process and causes the skin to pull the necessary moisture and nutrients from within, (laughs) so ridiculous, leading to collagen breakdown over time. This is ultimately what causes wrinkles. You're, wait, you're telling me that petrolatum is really what's causing wrinkles, not just gravity and old age. So Exactly. Who knew? Then who the knew? person in this blog post quotes a blog. So Timothy reached out to her because he didn't think the blog was a valid source. And her response was this. The petroleum jelly doesn't have nourishing ingredients. If there's any benefit, it's that it's locking what you put on under it. It's not breathable, and it would prevent exfoliation, which is necessary for blood flow, and regenerating cells. That's all general basic science. So, (laughs) Timothy's question is this. I didn't mean to sound like super, like, attitude-y, but I just, like, you know, when someone's, like, telling you that's general basic science, like, you're the Dumbo, it's... You know, I had to like put that inflection in her voice. Okay. Anyway, so Timothy's question is this. Do occlusives like petrolatum prevent cell turnover? It doesn't make sense to him. My instincts tell me that people are thinking that petrolatum is impermeable when in reality it is semi-permeable. From what I can tell, petrolatum has been shown to help with modulating antimicrobials, thickening the stratum corneum, and improving barrier function. I think the increased barrier function and the increased filigrin and Lorison would actually help with desquamation. Am I correct or are her claims valid? Your favorite, Timothy. Well, thanks for that, Timothy. And actually, I should say no thanks for that. You know, as I, I read this blog post and <laughs> got really riled up because it's just full of just bogus claims. But No, it's full of basic science. <laughs> yeah, basic, basic non-science. But, uh, but let's... Let's just focus on what Timothy asked about, and that is this notion that petrolatum is going to create this impermeable barrier that isn't going to let any water out and aging your skin. Um, this is just demonstrably false, and you can you can show this by doing a transepidermal water loss study. Uh, to a, uh, there's a device actually; it's it's a probe. You put the probe on the skin, and it measures as water vapor goes off the skin, and it it's a, it has a sensor, and it can tell based on conductivity or, or something like that, and tell you how much water is evaporating, right? Well, if you do this with petrolatum, you know the answer is not zero. <laughs> I mean, you can reduce transepidermal water loss, but you can't get it down to zero. You still lose water whether it's your body is coated in petrolatum or not. And so this notion that it creates this impermeable to water thing is just downright wrong. Um, it, it doesn't. <laughs> so, so I don't know what, to, what more to say about that. And then the notion that it has, it's full with carcinogens, that's just wrong. It's illegal. In the EU, it's illegal to use any uh, petrolatum that has, a, has any carcinogens uh, in it. And it's also uh, not done in the United States either. Um, so 
it's not chock full of carcinogens. So that's just wrong. Yeah, you know, I um, I always think like who's writing the blog article and what do they have to gain from putting out information that is not correct. And this blogger, um, basically this blog is to help her sell beauty counter. And so it's, you know, don't use anything with petrolatum. Check out all these beauty counter products that I can sell you through my website. And in fact, you can get a 20% coupon code if you want to switch to safer uh, with the blogger. So, uh, you know, instantly I'm always skeptical there. Like what's the agenda that they're putting forward? And, you know, there's a lot of bad information in this blog post. The one that Timothy didn't mention was, uh, what you put on your skin is absorbed into your bloodstream and with petrolatum, it's no exception because 26 seconds is all it takes for 80% of what you put on your skin to be absorbed into your bloodstream, which will then bypass your liver. Wait, let me get this straight. So if instead of, instead of me, when I'm eating pizza, instead of me putting it in my mouth, I can just put it on the back of my hand and in 26 seconds, 80% of it'll be in my body. The pizza grease, yeah, if it can flow, sure. It's so insane. And then they go to say, she quotes the EWG that these trace contaminants readily penetrate the skin according to government and industry studies, and their presence in products is not restricted by government safety standards. They're legal at any level, which is also not true. Petrolatum and other petroleum-derived ingredients are, are regulated for purity, Um, in pharmaceutical use and personal care. So, you know, I just don't really care for anything this person says. I don't buy into any of it. Yeah, Timothy, I think you might uh, need to double check your notion of uh, (laughs) respecting this blogger because at least what she's writing here uh, is just chock full of misinformation. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm a little, I'm not pleased. I always try to give everyone a, a look, but... Sure. You know, at the bottom of the page when you have buy my beauty counter, you know, it's um, I just I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. You know, petrolatum's a, you know, it's it's petroleum derived. And so people want to get away from that. I get it. Uh, of course, it's not taking up any farmland. So you're not going to starve people by growing your skincare. But, you know, it's also petroleum is not great for the environment either. Although until we get off of gasoline, uh, we're going to have all this extra byproduct from petroleum. It's, it's not like we're drilling oil so we can make beauty products. It's like we get like the leftovers from the, the fuel industry. This is just the stuff they weren't going to do anything with anyway. It goes to the beauty yeah. industry. Yeah, fuel, plastics, anything with benzene chemistry and polymer right. chemistry. Yeah. Uh, we did have one question that Timothy asked in there uh, in the long, long question with my intonations. Um, do you think the increased barrier function and increased filigrin and lorison would actually help with desquamation? I, uh, yeah, I could see that helping for sure. It's going to help with the uh, uh, underlying structure of the skin. And uh, for, for, for sure, that's going to help the condition of skin rather than hurt it. And I think that's what you've seen forever in studies when we're looking at moisturization studies and things. Products with petrolatamon, they work really well. That's just, <laughs> that's just the reality. So. Yeah. Well, our next question coming to us is an audio question. All right, let's see if we can uh, get this one to play. Hello, Beauty Brains. A quick question about Barbie hair. So, 
In the spirit of sustainability, instead of buying brand new Barbies, I went for secondhand ones, which meant that I was faced with, with the task of detangling and restoring Barbie hair. There are YouTube tutorials recommending shampooing, conditioning, rinsing with boiling water. And I did all of that. I thought, well, plastic and plastic silicones would probably work best. So I went for a silicone heavy L'Oreal conditioner and the result was, was fine. It just It did leave me with a bit of wonder what would have been the best conditioner to use for Barbie doll hair. Would love to hear your views on this. Have a good start of the year. Warm regards to the kitty cats. <laughs> oh, she said warm regards to the kitty cats. That was nice. Aww. Well, thank you so much for that. We haven't had a question about Barbie doll hair, have we? Well, you know... I had to be honest, at first I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe her hair is so bad. She's calling it Barbie doll hair. But no, it's literally the hair of Barbies. This is a great question. Yeah. Well, I looked it up and the hair of Barbies is not made out of human hair or even keratin. It's made out of polyvinylidene chloride, which is PVDC. It's a homopolymer of vinylidene chloride. So basically plastic. Yeah, plastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I wouldn't stress too hard about finding the best conditioner per se, uh, just in my opinion, because with a conditioner or a mask or something that is highly conditioning, they usually use a lot of quats inside it. Quats right, or quats. quaternized compounds are positively charged and they stick to the damaged, negatively charged hair on head. But Is this polymer negatively charged, Barry? I would be surprised. Yeah, no, I mean, if the if the surface gets damaged, you could have charged portions of the polymer, I'm sure, right? The vinyl is that, that benzene ring, and... You... Yeah, I wouldn't think, like, too many, though, right? I mean, I think it's the same sort of notion. If you imagine that this is the same sort of notion as, like, a a dryer fabric sheet in that you throw in your uh, dryer, right, when yeah. you're washing clothes. I mean, clothes are synthetic polymers, or a lot of them are. And yeah. so, actually, the way... Did I just say actually? I try to not say actually because I don't want to be that actually guy. But, uh -huh. <laughs> but here I am. I'm embracing the actually. Actually, we had a product that I worked on called Static Guard. And Static okay. Guard, and it was just a quaternized material that you spray because static is just a, a unbalanced electrons on a surface and then they take up. So I think that can happen with the Barbie doll plastic hair. You can get an imbalance of electrons and putting on a, a quat, a positively charged uh, compound, is going to stick there and then kick down the static. And if it sticks on there, it's going to make it easier to comb too. Yeah. Probably not as easy as like if you put a silicone on there or something, but uh, yeah. I, I am seeing that you can, um, you don't get charges per se, but the hair, the polymer itself has a dielectric constant. Um, so it would attract some quats, yeah. but I actually still wouldn't think that would be the best thing to look for, for this hair. In my mind, the best thing would be, the benefit would be oils or silicones that actually can coat the hair fiber yeah. and help smooth it out versus like a true conditioning agent. Yeah. I, I can see that also. I, I haven't I haven't experimented with it, so I can. You know, see both we ways. always just cut the hair off. Right. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that she mentioned was, uh, was she, the concern about boiling, uh, using boiling water on the hair. 
that's not really going to be a problem. Uh, this this polymer is not going to break down uh, with just boiling water. So boil away. And the boiling could help to remove dirts and oils that uh, have a melting point below that of boiling water. So oh, yeah, that's uh, a I, think, I think that would be fine to do. Yeah. Well, the conditioner would also help in that aspect too, because if the conditioner is wet on the hair, like you uh, loosen the conditioner uh -huh. up with some water, it might be able to emulsify some of the dirt off the hair as well. That's a good point. Good point. All right. Well, yeah. well hopefully that helps. Uh, maybe we'll have to do some Barbie doll hair experiments. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of what the best conditioner is, I would say just an inexpensive one. Yeah. And I would stick with, try to get one that doesn't have like a lot of, uh, I'd go with like a liquid one where it doesn't have seal alcohol and like an emulsification system or something. Mm -hmm. Probably like a spray-in detangler would probably work the best. Yeah, right? that Those would are be usually really a nice. silicone and a quat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that would go. Yeah. Well, I hope that works. We got time for another question? We do. We have question uh, time for two more today. This one comes to us from Tammy. She says, and she's, from, she's a patron too. In fact, if you want to be a patron, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Then we prioritize your question, and that also helps keep the show free from advertisers because... You know, if you take advertising money, you got to say nice things about the advertisers, whether you believe it or not. This way we can say whatever we want about anybody, you know, and, and not be influenced by money. Uh, all right. Let's say here, Tammy from Patreon. Hi, Beauty Brains. I just found your podcast and really appreciate the fact-based education you so kindly provide. My question, I'm reading a book given to me by my financial advisor, uh, okay. It is written by a PhD and is about how to slow down the aging process of the brain. In the book, he states the dangers of using parabens in cosmetics and cites studies to support his claim. Interesting. Well, I wonder what those studies are. Though I cannot find his reference anywhere, so unable to validate these statements. He recommends consumers look for the word paraben on labels and watch out for these, especially methylparaben, propylparaben, and butylparaben. I did some research, CIR, the SEC, etc., and the ingredients were found safe when used in the recommended amounts. In the book, the author says, the concern is not just about the amount of parabens, but is, is the cumulative effect that could cause problems. This totally flies in the face of what I've just learned and emphasizes the cumulative effect should not be an issue as long as the recommended amounts are used in each product. So my question is, how do we counter these false and misleading claims about hazards of cosmetic ingredients? Thank you, Tammy. Oh boy, uh, a lot to unpack here. First of all, when you see somebody has a PhD, that doesn't necessarily mean they know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, they might. They might. but Yeah, that but that doesn't they, make they them do. a toxicologist. Right. <laughs> yeah, PhD It's the in same what? thing. But Just because you're a medical doctor, yeah, you, you understand toxicology. You're not a toxicologist, right? Right. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, so so different PhDs. So who it was written by uh, is, is obviously somebody who's not familiar with the CIR or the SCCS, and these are the the industry groups uh, and government-sponsored groups that look specifically at the safety of ingredients, and methylparaben has never been found to be problematic in any study. Um, propylparaben, butylparaben, all of these are used at safe levels, and they've been checked. So it's the reason people are afraid of parabens is not based on science. It's just based on some fear-mongering that was effective. 
Yeah. But what do you think about it slows down the aging process of the brain? I mean, is there any proof that these are getting to the brain and interacting somewhere? I, I mean, I'm not familiar with this area. No, there's no, there's no evidence of that. They, these don't go through the blood brain barrier. This, this isn't, they're not accumulating in the brain. It's just, it's, uh, it's misinformation. Uh, but, and, and also this whole notion of the aging process of the brain, like we know anything about, you know, what speeds up or slows down the brain aging process, we don't really know that much. So when you read about people promising stuff that's going to slow aging down, we're really in the early stages of knowing anything about what causes aging. And somebody promising what their advice is going to help slow down your age, brain aging, that they're, that's just... That's just a, a fairy tale. They, they do not know. Yeah. I mean, the author says, you know, quoting the question, uh, there is a concern not just about the amount of paraben in one product, but the cumulative effect of multiple products containing these chemicals. I mean, it's a valid point, but also that is something a toxicologist takes into account. Right. This, they've already considered that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's just fear-mongering, uh, but, you know, people who are writing books have to say something interesting, I guess, that gets people thinking, uh, whether it's true or not. Just it's, it's not. But her main question is, how do you counter these false and misleading claims? Well, you start a podcast, and you call it Not the Beauty Brains. <laughs> you start, well, now, the first step is actually, first... Find out what's true, like you did. You went to the sources of toxicologists. and Because if you went to Google and just typed paraben cancer or some problem, yeah. uh, you would find a ton of things that come up, and that's all just misinformation. And how would you know? How would like a consumer know? Well, you have to know to go to the sources of stuff that's put out by toxicologists. People look at the Environmental Working Group, their skin-deep database, and it looks very official, and they cite... Uh, these very sources that I'm talking about, and yet they come to different conclusions. So it's very easy for a consumer to be tricked into believing things that just aren't true or that are through some sort of uh, biased lens. But ultimately, if you ask toxicologists, are parabens a problem? The overwhelming majority say, no, it's not a problem in cosmetics. Well, Tammy, it's a tough uh, problem to overcome. I mean, it's what we try to do on a daily basis, not just on the podcast, but in our regular work lives. It's what science yeah. communicators have in to try and media, deal with. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's hard because it feels overwhelming sometimes to try to, to fight everything. And even if you had the information and you're armed to show people the evidence, uh, evidence-based data, claims science whatever you, you show them the evidence that you know these things aren't an issue and uh, you still won't be believed so maybe I, I bit sound a bit of a defeatist here but it's hard <laughs> well there's there's a few things going against it too first of all it's much more interesting to people it, it really gets your attention when you say oh that product you're using is causing cancer like you're like whoa <laughs> i better not do that or, or somebody comes up to you and says, hey, that product you're using is, is perfectly fine to use. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, thanks for the news flash, Captain Obvious. Yeah, thanks. So there is that imbalance there. The, the other thing is there's, no, there's really no, no real amount of money in telling people what's true if it goes against uh, getting people to buy a product or so. 
it's why it's so difficult to if you want to be in this science communication business and you want to take sponsorship money and such you know you're not there I, there's some controversy where there's uh, some i think she goes by the handle space girl on tiktok or something and she just took some money from the petroleum industry to say what a great idea it is to take propane buses instead of using electric buses and she has no expertise in this but now she's been biased and <laughs> taking money here and it's just the kind of thing that once you t- start taking money from companies you just lose your objectivity but companies don't want to pay you money to say oh yeah parabens are perfectly fine to use yeah there's, there's just no money in it yeah so all that is say it's we're, we're sound a little defeatist yeah it's a little hard but all you can do is keep pushing that rock up the hill like sisyphus <sighs> i hope it doesn't come crashing down even though you know it will uh or like it's like trying to sink rubber duckies right they're just yeah. these things always come back i th- Honestly, I thought paraben this paraben scare was kind of over, but it's not. <laughs> Obviously. Things resurface. Uh, you know, but just, parabens are fine to use, but it's just like earlier these UV lamps, Perry. You know, five years ago, ten years ago, you know, they they resurface. You're right. I love that analogy. Like a rubber ducky, you can't sink. <laughs> yeah, it's unsinkable. <laughs> oh my gosh, is this because you're from Chicago? Don't you guys do the rubber ducky thing in the river? We, uh, we, yeah, we, we have done yeah the rubber ducky thing in the Chicago River. Yeah, and that's how you know about rubber duckies. Exactly, and uh, and uh, I and I knew it from. Uh, I always enjoyed that Sesame Street song, "Rubber Ducky." Oh you're God, the no, one. no, 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 you no, make no, bath no. time lots of fun. No, no. oh. <laughs> Are we going to get a call from the, uh, the what, the RIAA? Or oh, my gosh. No, I just don't need that song stuck in my head. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's it's a brain worm. It's out there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Looks like we have time for one more. Huh? One more. Yeah. Hi, Beauty Brains. I love your podcast. It's so informative, and I enjoy listening every week. I have to color my hair every four weeks, which is very costly. Colorists have told me not to use home hair color kits. They say they're extremely damaging. Is that true? Should I stay away from them or are they safe to use? Is there any reason I should avoid using the hair color boxes sold in stores? Please advise. Thanks, Stacy. Every four weeks, man. You know, my That's wife tells me I should go get my hair cut every four weeks, but that seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, know, it is, I think. <laughs> well, yeah. But I guess if your hair is, the thing about hair is in four weeks, you know, you're going to get, what, a half an inch of growth or something? In about a, in about a month, right? Yep. Two centimeters. Yeah. And so, if you've colored your hair, it's going to be pretty obvious. It's two uh, starting to be roots. obvious at that point. Yeah. So, Stacy, this uh, thing I'm about to tell everybody here is not popular amongst stylists, and Uh-oh. I fight this battle all it. the time. The reality is, home hair color has the same chemicals in it that salon hair color does. It's the same stuff, uh, usually just sold in a cream gel format, so it's easier to apply at home. And uh, stylists, salon professionals, don't like hearing that because their craft is to apply salon professional color to your hair, and that's how they make their living. Uh, But the reality is whatever you go uh, get from Walmart, Target, whatever, it's the same stuff. So that Feria dye, uh, that Feria or that, uh, what L'Oreal has yeah, stuff, right? which is my favorite home hair color, that's, by the that's, way. That's the same chemicals. Um, yeah, same chemicals. Oh, so, you, <laughs> you know, for um, colorists to say, oh, it's extremely damaging, you should stay away from it, not good to use, 
I, I hear it all the time. And the truth is it's the same stuff. However, there's a right. few key differences. Okay. The first difference is a stylist has technique and knowledge to custom mix colors for you and apply them to your hair in a way that can improve the integrity of your hair. Because if you are just applying at the regrowth at your scalp, the stylist is typically only applying color to that section. They're not applying it all over your whole head. When you're at home with your home hair color, you are probably putting that puppy all over the place, root to tip. And you're therefore putting color on your hair that doesn't need the color applied to it. You really just need to get your grays, right? So the stylist from that perspective has a huge advantage because not only do you look great because you have a technique, maybe you have low lights, uh, but they're not doing a global application root to tip. And so the mids, uh, mid lengths to the ends of your hair, the tips uh, won't be as damaged from the application process, but it actually has nothing to do uh, with the home hair color chemistry um, on its own. The other difference is, uh, you know, home box color is single process. Um, you have to like the color that you have in there. And if you are reapplying the color over old color, it can look dark and inky over time. So you just have to be okay with that. Um, if you're not comfortable using home hair color um, that, and you're not sure it's going to match what your stylist has been doing for you in the salon, Uh, I would recommend using a root touch-up kit, which typically is like a spray. Uh, And then some stylists actually will mix together your uh, home home hair color for you and let you take it home. There's a bunch of salons doing that. Uh, So maybe there's one in your area that's helping you with that. But, you know, I don't know how much money you're saving. And again, you have to be really comfortable applying color to your roots uh, so that you're not excessively damaging your hair from over-application. I think that's a great point. So the bottom line is the chemistry is not different. The the chemicals that you're buying are not different, but your hair is going to look better if you go and a colorist does it because first of all they got the angle. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're trying to do it yourself, that's hard to do, right? Yeah. Now if you have somebody at home who can do it for you, maybe that's that's better, but they're not also trained in getting your hair done. But if you like the way that you're doing it yourself and it looks good to you, then you know, have at it. There's there's no chemistry reason why you shouldn't be able to do that yeah the one other thing i will say is if you are dancing in both worlds you're using box color and then you're going to your colorist if you are not doing it well and then your stylist has to fix everything meaning uh get the look to be the way you want it uh and kind of fix some of the overlapping you did or maybe the color wasn't perfect all that kind of stuff that is a huge headache. And I, I can see that's why colorists don't like home hair color. Again, it has nothing to do with the chemistry of the color per se. It has to do with your application. Yeah. And then you're no longer in a hair color service. You're in a color correcting service, which uh, is Boku sure. Bucks. It costs a lot of money to do that. So I would just see how, uh, you know, I would talk it over with your stylist. Of course, their interest is to get you to come back to their chair. That's how they make their living. But, you know, again, if you're not comfortable, you're not good at it, uh, you could actually end up spending more money. So that's my my last point on home hair color. They certainly are not an unbiased source. No. Well, do you hear the music, Perry? 
I do hear the music there, Valerie. All right. Well, that's all the time we have, everyone. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you get a chance, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That's going to help other people find the show. And the more people that like the show, it's going to ensure we have a full docket of new beauty questions to answer. And if you have a question, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Also, The Beauty Brains are on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. And we have a Facebook page and maybe a TikTok. All right. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everybody. Kittens.